Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Jerry with the message. And the entire premise here is that God is the owner of all the things. And we are simply his kingdom managers, that he entrusts us with things to use for his kingdom purposes. We're not supposed to be buckets going around collecting all of God's goodness. God, just pour your provision right in here so that I can have it and it can be mine. We're meant to be really rivers or water mains through which God pro- God's provision flows. So we benefit, we get to touch God's provision, but it flows through us to the rest of the world so that his kingdom can come in other spaces, not just in our space. So last week, Derek talked about time and how as we are entrusted with time, that we are supposed to be redeeming time, that we redeem moments that God gives us. Every single moment of your day belongs not to you, but to God. And he has entrusted you with that time. And so another resource where we can have gigantic kingdom impact is with our money. So today we're going to be talking about money. And I know that when we talk about money in church, we get a little bit antsy. And that's okay. Because I think sometimes there's reason for that. Right? We have seen preachers and pastors who tell you to give all of your money and then they fly off on a jet to their vacation home or they have a multi-million dollar home or a giant car or whatever it is and so some of that is founded but what is true is that about 15 percent of what jesus said had to do with money he talked about money and the dangers of loving money more than he talked about heaven or hell. And so if Jesus thinks that it's important to talk about, we have to talk about it. It's not okay for us to skirt around it or get uncomfortable and so avoid it. Jesus thinks that it's important and that it matters. So we have to talk about it. And so today, what I hope that we'll see is that when we stop the flow of God's provision and hoard it for ourselves, we become unable to participate with the kingdom of God and with his kingdom purposes. And so would you pray with me, and then we'll get started. So God, I thank you that you are with us, and I thank you, Lord, that just in worship, I really felt like you broke off some things. There was a moment, I don't know if you felt that, but there was a moment where things shifted. And so God, I pray that whatever you've done with us this morning in worship, that you would continue to break off the things that would cloud our vision of you. Help us to see you clearly. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to say what you need to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna start with Luke chapter 12, and we're gonna read verses 13 all the way through 21, but we're going to take some breaks in the middle. 
So Luke chapter 12, verse 13, starting in 13, says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so what is happening here, the lead up to this, before what I just read, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And because of who Jesus is and that they're in public, a large crowd has formed. It says thousands of people have formed. And he's really talking to his disciples, but there's a crowd of people who are also listening. And so previously what he'd been talking about his disciples, what he had been saying to them is, don't worry. God has the hairs on your head numbered. You don't have to worry that God doesn't see you. You don't have to worry that God won't provide for you. Even when you're standing in front of authorities, giving account for what you believe or what you're doing, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say in this moment. And so Jesus is really preparing his disciples for what is to come, right? We know the kind of life that the disciples led, that it was full of pain and suffering, And so he's preparing them for that and saying, don't worry, there's going to be some hard things coming, but God sees you and God is with you. And so he's talking about God's kingdom coming to them in those moments. And in the crowd, a man raises his hand and says, hey, my brother won't give me my money. Can you make him give me my money? Make my brother give me my money. And so can you feel how jarring that would be? right? Jesus is talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God, and don't worry because God even knows the words that you need to say, and someone is like, my brother's being a jerk. Make him stop being a jerk, please, right? And so there's this moment that happens where something shifts, and I want us to see how the juxtaposition between Jesus telling his disciples, God will take care of you, and then this man who's very fixed unworldly things and it doesn't even seem like seems like he has a valid point there's no reason to think that he's making something up but he's very tied to what is bolted to this earth and so Jesus takes this opportunity to give a lesson this is a teaching moment Jesus does this constantly something happens and he uses the moment to teach the people around and often Jesus is talking to a very specific group of people but there's other people around that he knows are listening so he's very intentional here and so he tells a parable to illustrate the danger of being preoccupied with earthly possessions the danger of hoarding God's stuff that God owns for ourselves so we'll go back to the scripture Verse 16, starting in verse 16, it says, And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And so I want you to notice how this parable starts. It talks about the ground 
of a certain rich man produced abundantly. It does not say that the man worked really hard and then he got the fruit of his labor. Maybe he did work hard. We don't know. That's not what it says. It says that the ground produced abundantly. And in many other translations, the words there are the land. And so when we think about the land and a Jewish understanding of the land, the land was the means by which God blessed his people. So as Jesus is telling this parable, the people who are of a Jewish background there would understand that what he's saying is, God blessed this man (laughs) through the land. God provided for this man. And then very quickly, the man in the parable lays claim to God's things. He says, I have no place to store my crops. I'll build bigger barns, and there I will store my surplus grain. And so here's God providing for this man, and he very quickly grabs a hold of it and says, okay, I have enough. I have more than enough, but here's more. And so I'll take more. And so he collects the flow of God's provision and stores it for himself to take care of himself. Starting in verse 20, it says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And so all throughout the Bible, the word fool is meant for people who do not live by God's truth and God's wisdom. The truth of God is that God actually owns all the things. And that we're just managers of his things. And so God calls him a fool because he's not living by that truth. He says, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And that word, demanded, in the Greek, I'm going to try it, is apatito. And what it means is to take back. And so it carries with, with it this understanding that we've been talking about, that God owns even this man's life, that the life that he has given him, God has decided that it's time to take back. It's his to do with what he wants. And so this man has been trying to save himself with things that God has provided. And in this moment, God says, this life that I've given you, time for me to have it back. It was never yours in the first place. His very life is owned by God. And God decides it's time to take back what's his. This idea of entrusted goes to the deepest level of our being. The life that you live belongs to God, whether we acknowledge that or not. The very breath in your lungs belongs to God. The breath that you just took and the next one and the next one. Think about how many breaths you're going to take while you're sitting here this morning, and each one is a gift from the Lord. How many of us can will our own hearts to beat? None of us. And every single time our hearts beat, it is a gift of the Lord 
not something we earned or something that we can make happen. And so this idea of being entrusted goes to our very even essence, our very life. Everything about our lives belongs to God, and we fool ourselves when we think otherwise and live foolishly trying to gather God's things for ourselves. So this man stores up God's provision to take care of himself. And in, in the end, for all of his efforts, he's left with nothing. Rather than using God's provision to help him participate in God's kingdom, he thought he could use the good things of God to save himself. And that's really the definition of greed. Greed is when we take the good things that God has given us and we try to use them to save ourselves. That can happen in any number of ways. And Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So I think that begs the question, what does it mean to be rich toward God? It means that our ultimate value is in him that we live our lives according to his wisdom, which says that he owns everything. And the things that we have in our possession are ours to manage because God has entrusted us with them. We're simply managers of his stuff. And we can talk about how, there's lots of ways that that plays out, but one of the major ways we fall into into temptation is with our money. So much so that at the beginning, Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against greed. It's not just haphazard. He's calling us to be forceful and deliberate and intentional about our money. It's not passive or convenient. It's intentional. He says, watch out. Because money can just tempt us in special ways that other things can't. And as a pastor who's charged with your spiritual health, I would be neglecting you if I didn't talk about this. Because it's really, really important and it's really, really sneaky. It's something that can just fly under the radar and take a hold of our hearts. We're so good at justifying what we do with our money. Even people who say they want to be obedient to God, and that they want God to come and have charge of every single thing about their lives, can lay hold of that which is in their bank account and say, well, I, I sort of got this, though. You can have everything else, God. The things that I actually have no control over anyway, but this thing that I can control, I got it. I'm good. I'll take care of that. And not getting it right can significantly hinder your growth. On the flip side, being obedient to what God says to do with your money can propel you into growth, not only in financial areas, but in every area of your life. 
Money is a very tangible thing that we can direct. So much of following Jesus feels like really hard. Where, God, what parts of my heart have you not yet become king over? Which relationships do you want me to keep or pour into or cut off or whatever? But this is a very tangible way that we can say, yes, you are king of my life and I will do what you say with my money. Those who store up things for themselves but are not rich with God will be left with nothing. And so I want to, because it's so important and because it's easy to fly over our heads, I want to break this down and really talk about some application. What does this mean for our lives? How can we functionally work this out? And so the first question is what, what keeps us from being rich toward God? And I think there are a lot of things The first thing is that I think we're often trying to save ourselves. Every single way that we fall into sin can be sort of worked back, and the root of that is always the fact that we're trying to protect ourselves from something, that we're trying to save ourselves in some way. All of the things that we do that are counter to the way of Jesus is because we're trying to save or protect ourselves when really we were never meant to do that. By design, we're meant to be dependent on God for our salvation, for our provision, for our joy, for our peace, for our strength, for everything. We're meant to be dependent on him. And money is a way that we can provide some sense of security for ourselves, right? If we can just hit this number, if we can store up a certain amount, then we'll be okay. And we imagine that if we have enough, we will be safe. The fact of the matter is that most of us are just one catastrophe away from not being safe. As much as money gives us this sense of safety and taking care of ourselves, it's false. And so the problem is that when we store up money and we think, well, I'll just save this for myself so that I'll be okay, the problem is that something in us is really aware that we can't save ourselves that no matter how much we try, it will never be enough. And that's true, because by design, I just said this, by design, we're meant to be saved by God. And so if we look to money to make us feel okay, we'll never have enough, because there is not a number. There is not an amount of money that can save you. And so if we look to money as the thing that makes us feel good, it actually breeds more anxiety in us. We're constantly trying to get more, constantly trying to figure out ways that we can save more or make ourselves more comfortable. The second reason that I think we're not rich toward God is that it's countercultural. We live in a very individualistic culture where what is true for you doesn't have to be what's true for me, and they're both good and valid. But what is actually true is that what is true for God is true for all of us, whether we believe it or not. There actually is absolute truth. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't. And especially when we follow Jesus, our truth has to bow to whatever it is that Jesus says is truth. We live in this, we swim in this stream of What's good for you is is fine. Do you. 
make yourself happy. And so that really keeps us from turning to God and being rich toward God. Not only that, but marketing is constantly appealing to us to save ourselves. If you just have, just use this brand of makeup, then you'll be pretty enough and you'll be good. If you just buy these shoes, you'll be a good enough athlete. If you just buy this car, you'll be enough. Constantly, there's all kinds of things that are telling us if we just achieve or attain this thing, you can save yourself. You'll be enough. No worries. And we live in that constantly. And then there's the idea of the American dream, which says that if you work hard enough, you just put your, your head down and put in your dues, you will get what you want. You will get what you want if you work hard enough. Do you hear that? It's completely countercultural to dependence on God. Not that I'm saying hard work is bad. Don't mishear me. But we cannot rely on ourselves to arrive. The third reason that I think we are not rich toward God is because I think often we have made a relationship with God very cognitive rather than embodied. And what I mean by that is that we are very concerned that we have the right information and less concerned that we're doing the right thing or that we're even enacting the information. Don't get me wrong. It is important that we know the truth about God. It is equally important that we act on the truth that we know about God. And so sometimes I think we get so bogged down with figuring it out and having this knowledge that we think we need. And then after we know the thing, then we'll get started doing the thing. But they both have to go hand in hand. We need to move ourselves in the way that Jesus would move himself. We need to do the things that Jesus would do, not just know the right things. James chapter 1, verses 22 and 25 say, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We're not talking about salvation here. We're not talking about earning salvation through what, what you do. We're talking about receiving God's blessing and participating with him and bringing his kingdom here. Salvation is a free gift that we just receive. But if we want to participate with God bringing his kingdom to bear in earth, we have to do the things that he would call us to do. And I don't know about you, but it's not enough for me to like just squeak by. I want to see God's kingdom come here. And now there's so much that we can look around and see that it's just not good. And I want to be a part of seeing God's kingdom come here and now. I, and in order to do that, we need to do the things that Jesus would have us do. And so I want to pull this down even further, because I think it matters. I don't want us to miss it. So how does this apply to your life? What can you do? How can you be rich toward God? 
And I think the first step is to look at your budget. Budgets are not very spiritual sounding, but I think it matters. To look at your budget, and if you don't have a budget, to look at the past three to six months of how you've spent your money and ask yourself, have you been rich toward God? How you spend your money tells a story about what's valuable to you and what your hope is in. And we don't have to wonder about this. There's lots of things that are not clear, as I said, about how we live our lives, very practical, which relationships we should pour into, or what spiritual discipline I should practice right now. The Bible is very clear about how much. Gives a number. And so to not say that, I think, would not be kind to you. So in the Old Testament, the biblical standard is 10%, a tithe. We've all heard about this. So we don't have to wonder. If we look at our budget and we say, have I been rich toward God? You can use that number because it's given to you in the Bible. The New Testament standard is extravagant generosity. And so if in the Old Testament it's 10%, in the New Testament it's extravagant generosity, that would mean something above 10%, right? If it's extravagant And so we can look at the numbers and crunch the numbers. Again, does not sound very spiritual, but so much of living life with Jesus has to be embodied, brought down to the earth. And so that's a very practical step that you can do moving forward. And if when I say a tithe, if when I say that number, 10%, It feels unfathomable. That's a hard word to say. Like you can't do it. If it feels foolish or like you're incapable of that, I want to say this with all the love that you can possibly feel from me. But if we look at our budgets and 10% feels like something we could never do, then we have to ask where our hope lies. If 10% feels out of the question, then there is something amiss in our hearts. And the beauty is that God loves you, that God welcomes you, that God has a plan for you. But the fact of the matter is, if it makes more sense to save for a car or a house or even your kid's tuition than to live richly for God, that says something about what we value. And we need to think about that. We need to rely on God who is the owner of all of the things, including your money. And so God gave you the money. It's his money. It's in your bank account with your name on it. It's his. And so if he very clearly asks for a certain amount of it, something's amiss if we say no to that. And I'm not saying this because it benefits this church. I'm not saying this because it benefits me. 
I'm saying it because it forms us into the kind of people that God would call us to be. And if we say no with our money, it makes it very hard for us to say yes in other areas of bringing God's kingdom to bear. And so if, as I talk about this, you are filled with shame, I want you to listen to me. Jesus died so you don't have to feel shame. That's not what this is about. What I want you to also know is that Jesus died so that you can live life abundantly, fully dependent on him to show up for you, fully dependent on him to provide for you, to take care of you. And that does not happen if we're constantly trying to save ourselves or make ourselves comfortable with the things that God gave us. If we never have to depend or rely on God, then we never see how faithful he is. If we never put ourselves out there to need him, then we never know. And that would be really sad because the fact of the matter is that he is faithful and he is kind and he loves you and he wants to take care of you. And I want you to know that. And in the beginning... It might be painful. It might cost you. But I want to assure you, just from my own experience, nothing that God has ever asked me for has returned empty. The things that I grasp with all my might, and please understand, I still grasp. If I can give them to the Lord... He gives me back something so much better than what he asked for in the first place. And so no shame. That's my point. No shame here. But the Holy Spirit also provides something else that's not shame. It's called conviction. It's this thing that sort of it always feels like it pokes my heart with a little pin. It says, hey, this thing, this is not right. Let's, let's work on it. Let's look at it. Let's bring it before Jesus and ask him to transform it. And so if you're feeling conviction, I don't want you to turn away from that because the Holy Spirit brings conviction and then growth. If we will participate with the things that God is inviting us to, there's always growth on the other side of that. And so we have to begin somewhere. Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, is telling people to sell everything, to give up everything. The disciples had to leave everything they knew to follow him. He told them not even to bring a change of clothes and come to follow him. And that's not the mandate for most of us, that we would sell everything. But what is required when we say yes to Jesus is that we would give him everything he asked for. That we would be willing to give up everything. And so when he asks us for something, we would be ready to give it. That is what it means to say yes to Jesus, it means he's in charge and we are no longer in charge. And so being a kingdom manager 
of God's money isn't about giving or selling everything. Tithing is not about that. It's about forming our hearts in such a way that when God asks you for something, you could be ready. You could say yes to give it to him because you've formed this pattern. You've created this habit, this relationship with him where you give and he gives back. Where it feels really hard, you're giving the thing that he's asking you for, but you find him to be faithful. And so when he asks you for things, you will be more ready to say, you have proven yourself trustworthy. I will give it to you. It doesn't happen without intentionality. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by living in the truth that God is the owner of all the things and that we are simply managers of his stuff. And money is a tangible thing that we can direct, that can help orient us and bring more of our lives under the authority of Jesus. And so if you are not someone who gives a tithe, a really good place to start would be to say, maybe I could give 3% or 5% with eyes toward how I could increase this to what you ask for, not what I ask for, what God asks for. How can we get on the path toward giving back to God what is his, where it depends on our money. We have to start somewhere. So we can look at where our money actually goes and evaluate what's the fruit of this? What's the fruit of putting money in this place? And I'm not going to list off all the ways that you waste money or I waste money. Because <laughs> again, we're not here for shame. But I think you know them. I think I know them, right? What is the fruit of me spending my money in this way? And as each month we begin by directing our money, rather than just letting our budget happen to us, we become water mains through which God's provision can grow his kingdom, rather than buckets. Annoying toddlers who are biting everyone who gets close to our stuff. We don't want to be that. I don't want you to be that. (laughs) And so when we stop the flow of God's provision and hoard it for ourselves, we become unable to participate in God's bringing his kingdom. But when we're willing to intentionally manage God's provision according to his commands and his purposes, we get to be be kingdom bearers and bringers. We get to be people who participate with what God is doing in the world. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.